Well, if you've got your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to spend our time together in the first nine verses this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you over there on that table. Uh, You can go grab one, and that's our gift to you as a church for you to keep. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Let's hear what God says. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Uh, Now, if you have been with us at all over the past couple of weeks, you probably noticed that uh, while we're still in the book of Genesis, uh, we've got a new sermon graphic uh, with our boy father Abraham. And uh, there he is, looking good, and uh, a new title for the series, and that's intentional, and so I want to explain why real quickly. Uh, What we just read in these first nine verses in Genesis 12 is really the hinge on which both the, the whole book of Genesis turns and really all of human history turns, because this is how God is going to fix the problem of sin. You see, the book of Genesis is going to focus in and zoom in on Abraham and his family for the rest of the book because this is how God is going to save the world. And every passage in the book of Genesis from here on out is concerned with one or more of these promises that God gives to Abraham here, like every single one of them. Uh, That's how you interpret the book. This is free. You can write this down. Like every single text we will walk through from here on out in the book of Genesis is in some way connected to one of these promises that God gives here, that God will make Abraham's name great, that he will make him a great nation, that he will give him offspring, that he'll give him and his offspring the promised land, and that through him and his offspring, all the nations, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And also, just before we go any further, uh, I'm sure you picked up as we read, at this point in the story, his name is Abram, which means exalted father. And in chapter 17, God's going to change his name to Abraham, uh, which means father of many nations. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, But just to make it easier on everybody, I'm going to call him Abraham from the start and Sarah, call her Sarah instead of Sarai from the start, because that's just what we're all uh, more familiar with. And I won't be able to keep from slipping back into it anyways. Uh, So the first thing I want us to focus on in this text uh, is God's gracious call. As we've walked through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, once humanity uh, falls into sin and brings sin into the world, we've seen failed attempt after failed attempt uh, to get back to the garden and to get rid of sin. Cain could not do it. The flood didn't do it. The people at the Tower of Babel could not do it. Like we are 
God is showing us we are just absolutely powerless to change our situation and fix ourselves. And I think God shows us in these first 11 chapters, uh, failed attempt after failed attempt, so that we might appreciate the bigness of his grace that he just put on display here. You see, because when God created the world, he created the world by speaking everything into nothing. Everything into existence out of nothing. And just like he did there, after failed attempt after failed attempt here, he speaks and he creates a new reality. Like this is new creation that is happening here. This is what's going on. God's grace floods in after the Tower of Babel because what mankind could not do for themselves, God will do for them. I mean, think about this. What did they say at the Tower of Babel? They said they wanted to build a city and a tower so that they could make a name for themselves so that they wouldn't be scattered all over the face of the earth. But what does God say to Abraham here? What does he promise him? Verse 2, he says, Abraham, I will make your name great so that you can be a blessing. I will make you a great nation. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. More than that, we've seen curse after curse after curse in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. But what is God's promise to Abraham here filled with? Blessing, right? Blessing. God did not choose and call Abraham to play favorites. No, what does he specifically say? He says that he is choosing him and calling him so that Abraham would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. The, the word curse shows up five times in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And here, the word blessing is used five times in these first three verses in God's call to Abraham. This is how God is going to reverse the curse and bless until sin is, God, is gone. God will reverse the curse he put on the ground by giving Abraham and his offspring the promised land. He will reverse the curse that he put, the disharmony between the man and the woman and pain in childbearing by giving Abraham and Sarah offspring. He will reverse the curse of disharmony and and enmity that he put between peoples and nations by blessing all the nations and all the families of the earth in Abraham. He's going to completely reverse it shot for shot, point for point. So it's hard to overhype just how significant what's going on here is. Like this is the next high point in the Bible story of that promise we read in Genesis 3.15 that God is going to bring a Savior to crush the head of the serpent. We're finding out here that that Savior, that seed of the woman, is going to be one of Abraham's offspring. It's coming through his line. And, And notice in all of this who the weight is put on to fulfill this promise. Uh, I'll just give you a hint and spoil it for you. It's God, not Abraham. Right? What does God repeatedly say here? He says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times in the first three verses. He will see to it that this promise is fulfilled. He will see to it that salvation comes to all the families and nations of the earth. Like, yes, Abraham is called to do something, and we're going to walk through that in a second. But before that, I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that God is leaving the fulfillment of this up to chance or that he's leaving the fulfillment of this in the hands of Abraham and depending on Abraham's faithfulness. Now, what we're going to see over and over as we walk through the life of Abraham is that Abraham has absolutely no ability to make these promises come to pass. He has no land, and his wife is old and barren. She is 60 years old when this promise comes to Abraham, and she'll be 90 by the time she's 65, and then she'll be 90 by the time that God fulfills this promise and gives him the son that he promised to Abraham and Sarah. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I have not heard of any 90-year-old women conceiving and giving birth lately, because that just does not happen. 
it's humanly impossible. But God is going to do what's humanly impossible so that when these promises are fulfilled and when they come to pass, no one will get confused on who is doing the work. And notice how big this blessing is. Through Abraham and his offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I know we hit on this in Genesis 10, but I just want to remind you again because this text is showing us that God's plan from day one has always been for the nations, has always been to have people from every nation, every tribe, every language and tongue surrounding the throne, worshiping Jesus. God is a missionary God, and He chooses us. He calls us. He saves us to be a missionary people. Just like Abraham, we are blessed by God to be a blessing to others. It's why we want to plant churches. It's why we want to be faithful to just talk about Jesus with our friends and our family and our neighbors because when we plant churches and when we talk about Jesus with people, God has people not just that He might save, but people that He will save because God is a missionary God. And I haven't even hit on the most gracious part of this call yet, and it's who this call is coming to. How many of you growing up went to Sunday school and heard about how awesome Abraham was, that he's just this incredible man of faith, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm, right? Like, so we, we heard, like, Abraham is just this incredible, he's like this superman, a superhero of faith, and look, some of that really is true. He, he's known in the Bible as the man of faith, and he does display moments of deep faith. But here's the reality. When God calls Abraham here at the beginning of chapter 12, Abraham is not a great guy, and he's not a man of faith. He is a pagan. It's just like Noah. God did not look around at humanity in the days of Noah and the flood and see, oh, here's Noah, this one guy living really righteously when everybody else is sinning like crazy. So let's save him and choose him and use him. No, it says in Genesis 6 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace means that he could not earn it and he did not deserve it. Like when Genesis 6 says that the thoughts and intentions of every person's heart was only evil all the time, that's talking about Noah too. Noah was one of the guys whose thoughts and intention of his heart was only evil all the time. He was wicked, but God chose him. He put his grace on him. He loved him, and he saved him. The same thing is true with Abraham here. He was just a wicked pagan like everyone else, not looking for God, not running after him, not being faithful, not trying to go to church when God called him. Man, do you not believe me? Well, bad news. Uh, I've got a verse for you to prove it. Uh, we read this last week, but hear it again. This is Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Abraham was a pagan idolater who worshipped other gods. And yes, even after the call, he's going to display moments of deep faith. But what we'll see as we walk through the life of Abraham is that his faith is very much a, a start and stop, up and down, one step forward, one step back, weak, stumbling faith. Like Abraham is not our hero. I mean, Homer Simpson had it right. Have you ever seen this episode of The Simpsons? Uh, Homer buys a Bible, and he's complaining about how much it costs him. And then he says, yeah, and on top of that, talk about a preachy book. 
Like, everybody in here is a sinner except for this one guy. Listen, that's good Bible reading on the part of Homer Simpson. You see, because the Bible is not the story of good people and bad people. The Bible is the story of bad people and Jesus. Like, those are the two categories. There are sinners and there is Jesus. And so I I want you to hear this. I, I really think it might be able to set you free. Listen, God does not just find good people who have kind of figured things out in their lives and have kind of gotten themselves on track to choose and work through. No, He chooses and works through sinners who were not looking for Him and were not good. There are no good people for God to work through. He only chooses and calls sinners. Listen, grace does not make sense. That's the whole point of it. That's why it's so amazing. You don't make yourself good enough to be called by God. No, He calls you. He sets His love and grace on you, and He begins to use you. And so listen, I don't know how you walked in here. I don't know what your story is and what you may be hiding. I don't know what sort of shame and guilt you may be carrying right now. But what I do know is that whatever it is, it does not keep God from calling you and using you. This is about grace, the very definition of which is that you can't earn it and you don't deserve it. And so maybe you feel like, no, I, I just, there's no way I could be used by God. I've just got this thing in my past that is so dark and, and wicked and disgusting. Or I've got this thing right now that I just can't seem to overcome and get past. And listen, I want to tell you, it's just not true. If you're a pagan idolater who has spent your entire life worshiping other gods and never giving a thought to Jesus, good news, you're in great company to be called and used by God because that's Abraham. We do not work ourselves up to be qualified. God chooses us, He calls us, and He qualifies us. He changes us. He equips us and transforms us. This is the whole point. And what defines Abraham's life is not uh, his pagan background or his sin or even his faith. What defines Abraham's life is the call of God on his life. The call of God that came to him when he was not looking for it, when he was not trying to earn it, when he was not searching for it. And the same thing is true for us. It's grace. It's absolute grace. And so it's a gracious call of God. But look at the specifics of the call that God places on Abraham's life. He tells him to go and leave everything he's ever known and journey to the place that God would show him. How wild is that, right? God says, hey, Abraham, start walking. Nice to meet you, by the way, but hey, start walking. Uh, Where am I supposed to walk? Doesn't matter where you're supposed to walk. I'll show you when we get there, right? It's just absolutely wild. Um, If if you weren't here at the time last year, last May, uh, my wife Braylon and I moved down here to Fayetteville from Wake Forest about an hour and 20 minutes north uh, during the middle of the pandemic, like May of last year. So um, we accepted a a position for me to come on staff here. And when, as soon as we did that, the world uh, shut down. I don't know if I had anything to do with that, but that's how that happened. And so we had to look for a house um, in the middle of the pandemic, and it was crazy. Like the housing market was so crazy last year. Houses were going so fast, so quickly. And uh, we'd already lost out on another house we put an offer in, and it was getting close to the time where we needed to move. Uh, and so our realtor found us another house to look at and sent us a video. And so I was driving down here on a Thursday to come and record the sermon for that Sunday. And so I met her at the house early uh, before the sermon and kind of walked through the house and Uh, There were already other offers going in on it, and so if we were going to have any chance at it, I had to put an offer in on it right there on the spot without Braylon ever seeing it. 
uh, and you, you talk about nerve-wracking, like, I have no idea what looks good in a house or what to look for, and now this is all kind of on me to make the call of, like, do I try to get this house, or do we just lose out on this one and wait for another one? Uh, now, we did end up getting the house, and she got to see it a few weeks later before we closed, and to my knowledge, she does like it, uh, but, but Abraham doesn't even get that right? Like God's just like, hey, start walking. I'll show you where we're going when you get there. That's when you get to see the house that, I, that I'm making for you, right? And so this is the call of God on Abraham's life, to go leave everything he's ever known so that God might use him to be a blessing. And so let's move next in the text from God's gracious call to what a faithful response looks like, uh, because Abraham's response to this call has so much to teach us. Jump back into the text in verse 4 with me. It says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And so what faithful response to God's call looks like is trusting obedience. Abraham does not have the whole plan laid out. He doesn't even know where he's going yet, but he just trusts God and obeys. This is what faith in God looks like. It trusts God, it obeys, and it takes the next step. Listen, faith in God, believing in God is not a blind leap in the dark where we just believe in God in spite of any, like in spite of there being a lack of evidence or whatever. But on the other hand, faith in God, the Christian life, following Jesus and walking by faith is also not about having the future laid out beforehand before you will obey. It's trusting God enough to take the next step even when you can't see the whole plan laid out. Like, you don't have to have the five or ten year plan for your life laid out, and I can promise you God is never going to give that to you. You just need to take the next step of obedience. God does not reveal the full plan for your life at the beginning. You take a step of obedience, you trust Him, and you walk by faith, and then more is revealed. Because you don't need the whole thing at once, you just need to take the next step. You just do the next right thing. You just be obedient to what you know, and God will reveal more as you go. Now look, I, I actually think this is incredibly freeing if we'll let it be. Because I think so many of us are racked with anxiety over like, what am I going to do with my future? And, and should we stay? Or should we, should we move somewhere? Should we stay? Should I stay in the army? Should I get out? Am I going to make the right decision? And, and I think that when the decision is not between something that's clearly sinful and something that isn't, then God gives us a lot of freedom. Like, should you go do crystal meth after the gathering this morning or not is a pretty easy decision, right? You don't have to pray and wrestle through whether or not you should do that. You don't have to seek counsel. You don't have to use wisdom. You just say no, right? But on the other hand, when the decision is more along the lines of, do I stay here? Or do we try to move somewhere? Or do I get out of the army or do I stay in? Or do I go to this college or that college or not to college at all? I think God gives us a lot of freedom to seek counsel, to use wisdom, to pray through it, and then to do what you feel like God is leading you to do, to take a step of faith and obedience and, and follow Him. Maybe giving an example of this will help. So this is going to be a little bit extended. And, and before, I, before I start talking about this, he, please hear me say, like nobody that knows me uh, would say, like, man, Ryan is just such an incredible example of what faith in God looks like and trusting God and walking by faith. Like, if you want to know how to do that, uh, look to Ryan. Like, nobody is going to say that. And so, as we walk through this, like, please don't hear me holding myself up as the example of faith. I want to 
walk through this more to kind of paint the reality that you're just not going to have the future laid out beforehand and you just have to take the next step. And so uh, after my freshman year of college, the church I had grown up at asked me to be the student ministry intern that summer. Uh, and so I told them that I would do it as long as they knew that I had no desire to be a pastor and that I absolutely was not going to preach. Uh, public speaking was and still can be one of my greatest fears, and so that just was not going to be on the job description. Uh, previous youth interns had had to preach at the end of the summer, and I just said, you're not getting me if you make me do that. I refuse to do that. And I know, I know God has a really funny sense of humor, uh, but uh, my grandpa was an interim pastor at a different church in the city that summer, uh, kind of a smaller church, and um, towards the middle of the summer, he asked me if I would come preach for him at his church on a Sunday night. And by that time in the summer, God had really started to kind of stir up some desires in me of like, man, I really am enjoying doing this. I really am enjoying ministry. And I had some people kind of come talk to me and say, have you considered this? If maybe God is calling you into this. And so I just told him, yes, I would do this. I would preach for him at his church at the end of the summer. And my thinking was, you know, if this is an absolute train wreck, like I've never met these people, they'll never see me again. We, we can just forget it ever happened and just move on and laugh about it years down the road. Right? And so I, I said yes to this, and my thinking in this was, you know, if this isn't an absolute train wreck and I don't absolutely hate it, I'll continue to pursue whether or not God might be calling me into this. And so I preached that sermon at the end of the summer. It was absolutely terrible, but I did not hate it. I really kind of enjoyed it. And so, you know, I just continued to wrestle with this. And so over the months leading up after that, I preached a few more times. I prayed. I talked to people. I sought counsel. Uh, and as the months went on, it became clearer and clearer that God really was calling me into this, that this is what he wanted me to do. And so when I felt clear about that, I just tried to take the next step of obedience. I, I changed my major to start taking ministry and Bible classes. Uh, I started serving more at the church I was at and just tried to find any opportunity I could to learn and grow and, and kind of figure out what it looks like to do ministry. And so I served there at that church really the whole time I was in college from then. And when it was time for Braylon and I to go, um, towards the end of our time there, God really started stirring up desires in me to, to church plant. And I had never been in a context where like that had ever been done. I didn't know any of the specifics of what that looked like. It, it just felt clear that this is what God was trying to do in my heart. I wanted to see my friends and people my age uh, be saved by Jesus, get baptized, and, and see Jesus become the all-consuming passion of their lives. And so I wanted to do this, but I had no clue what that looks like or what I was even supposed to do to try to follow that. Uh, as, as our time there kind of came to an end and I was graduating college and all of that, Braylon and I just felt clear that the next step uh, was for us to go to seminary. And so um, we had some connections to Southeastern, which is in Wake Forest. Um, and so uh, we moved out to Wake Forest in the fall of 2018 so that I could attend seminary there on, per, on, on campus in person and take classes there. And uh, as we started to settle in there, like all the church planning internships and residencies that I had kind of looked at beforehand and scoped out before we moved. Uh, as we got into those and found out some more information about those, none of those really felt like a good fit for us. And so I kind of just started to pull back and like, okay, maybe God isn't calling me into this, or maybe this is something that's way down the road in the future. Um, but, but I just don't know that like, it seems like this is not what God wants me to do right now. And so I just kind of tried to continue to be faithful where we were at, and uh, we had the plan of that I would graduate, and then we would move back to Oklahoma so that I could uh, try to be a pastor there somewhere. Um, but then the summer of 2019, uh, I got an email from Veritas asking me to come preach, and so I did that. 
and uh, continued to do that throughout the fall of 2019 and into the spring of 2020. And I was going to graduate last year in 2020. And so uh, even as 2020 kind of opened up in the beginning months, uh, I started cleaning up my resume and getting that ready to send to some people in Oklahoma who had some connections. Hopefully, I just get my name in front of some people so that I could find a job there uh, once we graduated. Uh, and so I was doing that, and I texted uh, Stuart Scott, one of the pastors here at the time, and I said, hey, man, would you mind serving as a reference for me on my resume? And he called me back, and he said, yeah, I'd love to do that, but also uh, I'd love to offer you a job on staff if you'd want to do that. And so I got on the phone with him and Jacob and Joe, and we talked about that and what that job would look like. And so then Braylon and I kind of prayed about that. We wrestled through that, and we talked to people. We sought counsel. We tried to use wisdom because either of those would have been good options. Like neither of those would have been sin for, for us to go back to Oklahoma or for us to go here. But as we prayed and we sought counsel and all of that, uh, it just began to be increasingly more clear that this is what God was calling us to do in this next season of life, that this is the step that he was calling us to do. And so we went for it. And man, it's been such a deep grace of God on our lives for us to get to be here. And, and another aspect of God's grace that I've seen in all of this it's been four years ago when God started stirring up a desire in my heart to church plant. Like I had no idea what he was doing at the time. And I had no idea that a lot of what he was doing uh, was stirring up desires in me and changing things in me that would prepare me to be here and to even be a fit here. But look, it's really clear to me that that's what he was doing in my heart uh, at the time. That's, that that's why he was stirring those things up. But the reality is that none of us get that picture on the front end. Right, like when we moved to North Carolina, I had no clue that Fayetteville was even a town in North Carolina or a city, uh, and I had never heard of Veritas, didn't know that it even existed. We just knew that seminary was what God was leading us into next. And, and so this is not as clean as we might want it to be. You walk with Jesus, you, keep to, you seek to keep in step with the Spirit, and you do what you feel like God is calling you to do. You take the next step. And listen, the reality is that none of us have this figured out. Like, I don't have this figured out. God does not speak to me audibly, except when I use the Dwell app and Scripture is read out loud. He does speak to me audibly then. But beyond that, He does not speak to me audibly. And so there's freedom here to wrestle, to pray, to seek counsel, and to use wisdom, and then to trust God and take a step of faith. Listen, let this be freeing to you. You will not know the future. You will not have all the answers, but you don't have to to be obedient to God. Look, I have no clue what I'll be doing and where we'll be when I'm 35, but, but God is not asking me to. You don't need to have the five or 10 year plan laid out. God has the five or 10 year plan laid out. You just have to take the next step and trust him today. And, and even clearer than having to decide between multiple good options, neither of which would be sin, when it comes to things that are clearly laid out in God's word, you just obey what has been clearly revealed. And so, for example, five years from now, you may be at a different job, but right now uh, you're at this job and God is calling you to be faithful to him in it today. And so walking by faith looks like you getting up tomorrow and going to work and working hard as if you're working for the Lord and not for men because you know it pleases Jesus and that you're serving Jesus. You trust God and you seek to love the people around you. You seek to fulfill your responsibilities. You uh, spend time with God in prayer and in His Word. You serve your friends and your family and your neighbors. You talk about Jesus and you be faithful and you trust God today. 
You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Let God worry about tomorrow. You just are called to trust Him today. And so if that's the call, how do we do that? How do we walk by faith and take the next step? Well, to borrow a phrase, you do it by trusting the promises of God and the God of the promises. This is what faith is. Faith is trusting the promises of God and trusting the God of the promises. This is what Hebrews 11 says that Abraham did. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, I know I've said this so many times, but I'm just going to keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. This is why it is so important that we deeply engage with God in His Word. Everything in your life comes down to what you know and trust and believe about God and the depth of your relationship and your fellowship with Him. Everything. Everything comes down to this, and where God has revealed Himself is in and through Jesus in His Word. You find His promises in Scripture. You find his character in Scripture, but if you don't know his promises and you don't know his character, how are you going to be able to trust him and take the next step? How are you going to be able to walk by faith in what he says? And listen, I want to encourage you in this. Like wherever you're at in this, whether you've read the Bible cover to cover for years or you've never opened it at all, just take the next step. Well, God knows where you're at. He's not mad at you or ashamed of you about where you're at. He knows you don't have all the answers, but look, just saying, oh, you know, I didn't grow up in church, or I'm just not real familiar with the Bible, or I'm just not that great of a reader is not an excuse for you to stay in that place. Like, ask someone, God wants to reveal himself further to you in his word. So if you don't know, ask someone here to read with you and help you. Get in a discipleship group where you can read Scripture together with other people and and press into it, but you've got to press in and take a step and get started. Like, it's okay to not be okay, but by God's grace, we don't have to stay in that place because, listen, there's more of Himself that God wants to reveal to you. There's more of His love that He wants to pour out on you when you engage with Him and walk with Him in His Word. And so Abraham, he, he trusts the character of God and he obeys. He takes the next step. And as the text moves on, this is important. In verse 5, when it says that he brought all the people he had acquired in Haran, uh, that's not talking about slaves. The way the Hebrew should be translated there, it's talking about converts. Abraham gets this call from God and he really becomes an evangelist. He's telling people about God and his promises to him and all these converts to Yahweh, to the Lord, come with him. And then when he gets to Canaan, he begins to walk through the land. Uh, in high school, when we would go play a football game uh, at another team's field, uh, before the game, we would walk out on their field and kind of walk the length of it and scope it out as a way to say, like, this is our territory now. Uh, this is going to be our field tonight. Unfortunately, we were terrible, so that never happened. Uh, but that seems to be what's going on with Abraham here. Abraham gets this promise from God. He knows God is going to give him what he promised. And so he walks on the land like this. I think this is even clearer in verse 7 when God appears to him again and says, to your offspring I will give this land. And Abraham immediately in response builds an altar to the Lord where he worships the Lord. What Abraham is doing as he builds all these altars, he is claiming the land for the Lord. 
These are markers of God's presence in the promised land. Abraham is trusting God and acting in faith because he knows God will keep this promise to give him and his offspring the land. And so Abraham really does give us this incredible example of faith and what it looks like to trust God and walk by faith and take the next step. But here's the reality. His example is not going to be enough for us to follow in his footsteps. You can try as hard as you want to be like Abraham, but you're going to fail. And besides that, just like us, Abraham is so up and down. He's going to fail to trust God next week. Like immediately after this, things are going to go bad. They're going to go real bad. And so where does faith like this, faith that trusts God and takes the next step, come from? It comes from looking to Abraham's greater son. You see, as the story of the Bible continues to unfold, we continue to zoom in on who this offspring of Abraham is going to be who will reverse the curse, crush the head of the serpent, and bring salvation. And in Galatians 3, Paul tells us who these promises that God made to Abraham were ultimately about. When God says in verse 7, to your offspring I will give this land, Galatians 3 tells us that the offspring that God is talking about is Jesus. Jesus is the son of Abraham who will inherit and fulfill these promises. He is the one through whom the world will be blessed. This is the good news of the gospel preached all the way beforehand to Abraham. Listen to what Galatians 3 says. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, because Jesus, the true son of Abraham, went to the cross and became a curse for us to take our curse upon himself, we get the blessing promised all the way back here to Abraham. This is why Paul also says in Galatians 3 that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Those who have faith in Jesus receive the blessing promised to Abraham. We get to experience the blessing of salvation. We become sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus. But that's not all that Paul says in Galatians 3 about this. You've got to love how he is just preaching my sermon for me here. But he says that since Jesus is the true son of Abraham, since he's the true promised offspring, When we trust in Jesus and he saves us, he unites us to himself so that everything that is true of him becomes true of us. Listen to what Galatians 3.29 says. It says, if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Through faith in Jesus, because of what he has done, we are now Abraham's offspring. We will inherit all of the promise that God made to Abraham here. We are not studying Genesis to learn a little bit more about the Bible or to learn some ancient history. This is our story. These are our promises. We will walk with God as his sons and daughters, not just in the promised land of Israel, but in the entire new heavens and new earth. We receive the Spirit, God himself, to come live inside of us so that we might know God intimately and walk with him deeply. God gives us his name and his righteousness and his identity. We are blessed instead of cursed, even though all we've ever done is earn for ourselves cursing and judgment. And we are a great nation made up of brothers and sisters all over the globe whose lives have been completely changed by Jesus. And it's resting in this good news, the gospel that Genesis 12 shows us, 
That's where the power to have faith that trusts God and takes the next step comes from. Because just like Abraham, just like it was for Abraham, worship is the fuel for trusting God like this. As we get our eyes on the goodness of Jesus and what he's done for us, our hearts are transformed to want to trust him. The more you get your eyes on Jesus and his grace, the more your heart is going to say, and why would I not want to do what he says? Why wouldn't I trust him? He's never failed me before. He's not going to start now. He's always better. He's so good. He's so kind. He's so trustworthy. And he so deeply loves me. Why would I ever doubt his care for me? Why would I ever doubt that any command he gives me can only be meant for my life and joy and freedom and flourishing? Worship is the fuel for a life of trust, and we have even more reason to trust God and walk by faith than Abraham did. Abraham would kill to know what we know about God, what God has revealed of himself to us. We have seen so much more of God acting on his promises, so much more of him revealing his good character and grace, so much more of his love put on display for us. I mean, think about this. We are on the other side of the earth from where this promise took place, millenniums and millenniums removed from when God gave this promise to Abraham, and yet you are part of the fulfillment to this promise to Abraham because God loved us enough to take on flesh and come rescue us. Like you are part of the great nation that was promised all the way back here in Genesis 12 to Abraham because God is faithful and God keeps his promises. He's still doing it. And so we can trust the character of God. We can trust that he's not going to lead us astray. And we can trust that even if he leads us into the darkness, he will be there in the darkness with us because he already went through the darkness for us on the cross. This is why Charles Spurgeon says that because of the cross, even when you can't see God's hand in your life, you know that you can always trust his heart. Because whatever our circumstances in life might mean or whatever Uh, we might be going through because of the cross what we know it can't mean, it can't mean that God does not love you. It can't mean that God is not for you. It can't mean that God does not care for you or that he has lost control for your life because no, he proved it with his own blood. If God loved us enough to give up his own son for us, if Jesus loved us enough to freely choose to lay down his life for us, if he went to that length to make you his own, he will not quit on you now. He will not change his mind about you now. He will not stop loving you. He will not stop working all things in your life out for your good and his glory now. You can trust God and take the next step into the future because even though you can't see and know the future, he can. And the good news is that the future is not just something that God knows. It's somewhere he already is. He will be with you every step of the way. And every step of the way, he has opened up the way to a life of deep fellowship and intimacy and communion with him. He's opened up the way to walk with him in love and peace and joy for the rest of our days. Look, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to hold on to God and take the next step. If your circumstances are awful right now, you don't have to figure out the five or ten step plan to how to make them better or how to get out of them. You just have to hold on to him won't let you go. Listen, he's faithful. He's so faithful. He will keep his promises. He has kept his promises, and his promises are for us because he's an incredibly, incredibly good God. 
we can trust Him and look to Him and take the next step. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank You for this good news. That though we are, just like Abraham, so weak and stumbling in our faith, we're one step forward, so often two steps back. Jesus, You don't relate to us based on the strength of our faithfulness to You. You don't relate to us based on the ability of our performance. You relate to us based on Your grace. You are the true Son of Abraham who is faithful all the way to death. You are the one who has won all of these things with Your obedience. And so help us to look to You. Jesus, help us to get our eyes on You and worship You so that we might live a life fueled by worship to trust You and take the next step like this. God, we cannot do it on our own. We can't work it up in ourselves. And so would you do it in us? Would you transform us? Would you help us to walk by faith, to take the next step, to trust you knowing that your character is good, that you don't change, that you will keep your promises because you've already shown us that you have in the, de in the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And so God, as we respond to you now and respond to your word, would you help us to, to taste and see that you are good, that you love us, that you are for us, that you are trustworthy, and that we can follow you in everything you say. I pray you do that among us, even in this moment, as we respond in your name. Amen.